In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 56th episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me, what the show is about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or the voiceamerica.com business channel. You can download the app or tune in using your favorite podcast app. Now, if you missed last week's show, I interviewed Matthew Stillman. We talked about our mutual love of improv and the way it weaves into our daily lives, along with the yet-to-be cult book Matthew wrote comparing improv and the Ten Commandments. Yes, people, those Ten Commandments. So be sure to check that, that show. That's from September 17th. Now, today, my guest is Sari Ibrahim. Welcome, Sari. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, listeners, in inviting Sarian, I'm, in, I'm venturing out on a slightly different topic than I normally talk about and a very important one. So let me tell you a bit about Sari's background, and then you'll be able to appreciate where this conversation is going to be heading. Sari is a financial planner and a member of the Bank on Yourself organization. Now, we're going to talk about more about that concept, Bank on Yourself, in a bit. Sari helps real estate investors, business owners, and full-time employees grow safe and predictable wealth, regardless of market conditions, using a financial strategy that's been around for over 160 years. Sari started his journey when he was in grad school, completing his MBA. He worked for companies like Allstate, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Cigna, HealthSpring, and Humana, before he founded Financial Asset Protection. And it's a financial services firm that focuses on one sole concept, the bank on yourself concept, also known as infinite banking concept. All right. So listeners, you've been warned. You should probably get out a pen and paper. I'm guessing there's going to be some notes you're going to want to take. So, Sarah, let's jump in. Why don't you tell me a, a more about your background? How did you end up in this field? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. And thank you for that awesome introduction. Um, so I, I started off, I started this career when I was doing my MBA about five years ago. Um, I was about halfway through my MBA program. And then I started working for different insurance companies. At first, really, my intention was to kind of just test out different industries and different careers and find what I liked. I originally was going to school to be a project manager. Um, but as I was taking the courses and I, I just realized I didn't really click well with that subject, I, it wasn't my passion. I really liked talking to people. I liked um, working with people, helping them solve problems. And I was, as I was in the, in the insurance industry, I became comfortable talking to people about money. And then people also became comfortable talking to me about their money problems, their financial problems. So I wanted to make a career out of that simply, just helping people with money problems, money issues, whether it was too little of it or too much of it, and, and really protecting things that matter to them. So uh, again, I didn't really know uh, what, what career out there would be, you know, what kind right. of career that would be. So I uh, 
doing different jobs. I read a lot of books. I was reading at one point I was reading like three books at the same time. And I was on uh, Amazon searching for books about like financial planning. And I, I came across this book called the bank on yourself revolution. And the book talks about the concept, which we can get into later on. Okay. And, and at the end of the book, it was like, if you'd like to join our program as an advisor, um, I applied through that program, got accepted, went through the training program. And this is what I do now full time. But really, you know, it was more about problem solving and kind of identifying what people wanted to accomplish really with their money. Uh, and that's why I want to be on the show. And we can talk about, you know, anything you'd like to talk about. Thanks, Sari. You know, it really touched me just now to hear you say that you realized project management wasn't your passion. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, when I was searching for my career, I had no clue. What I want to do. And like you, mm-hmm. I had a similar thing. I was just saying yes to everything. Oh, work on a camp in Wyoming or a ski resort <laughs> in Maine or, you know, I, yes to everything. Yeah. And I figured all I got to know is, or I got to find the passion. As long as I'm passionate about it, I'll do whatever. So that's really cool that we uh, shared that a similar approach. Mm-hmm. So, um, Sari. As someone who is formally financially phobic, <laughs> I mean, Sarah, I seriously used to have to take naps during financial conversations. Not after, during. I would have to lay down like, Damien, I can't take any more right now. <laughs> and I have come so far, you would be very impressed. So I'm eager to hear how your ideas are about resolving that inner challenge and conflicts many people have and how you can help people to solve these mindset challenges. Because you said something fascinating about you you build trust with people. You got confident and comfortable talking about money because that's not something that mm-hmm. people are taught how yeah. to do. So you did on-the-job experience. And then you helped them to get comfortable to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, is you know a real skill. And it shows... This level of, you know, what I was picking up when you and I talked for the first time a few weeks ago, this sensitivity and this gentleness you have that I'm guessing is part of your success because people feel safe with you, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, It's definitely, like you said, the first thing is mindset. So um, money is mindset uh, for sure. Definitely when, when wanting financial freedom and wanting to kind of take that leap to the next step, it's all about mindset. Like for example, if somebody is in debt and they're kind of in a tough financial situation, um, 80% of getting out of that situation is going to be mindset. And what I mean by that is wow. the way they feel about themselves and the way that they perceive the problem, the outcome of the problem, meaning that- Okay, hold on. If, uh-huh. I'm going to stop you every once in a while. This is, this is golden. How they feel about themselves mm-hmm. and how they feel about the problem. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and how they like see the end result. So you tend to, you get what you think about. So if you're seeing the end result as positive, you're, you're more likely to get there. And then vice versa, if you never see yourself getting out of the problem, you probably never will. So it, it all starts with your mindset, thinking clearly, um, and then focusing on, on the end result as if, it's, as if you can bet it's going to happen. You need to bet on yourself and really focus on that. And then also you have to be comfortable with identifying your problems. 
I've talked to clients before that say that, for example, they have a lot of debt or they're in a tough financial financial situation and they really don't want to look at it. They don't want to see their credit card yeah. statements. They don't want to see their mortgage statements because it's yep. going to bring them down. Yep. And I think the opposite should be done is that you should stare at it. You should, when, you know, when you're in conflict, you should identify the conflict. You should look at it from different angles and really get comfortable facing that conflict. So that way you're more likely to address it and solve it and, and battle against it when you, when you have a better idea of it. Yeah. So I, I just love that, that what I'm hearing is be brave. Um, And I think not doing it alone is probably another critical success factor because over the years, as I've gotten stronger with it, each time I had someone who was holding my hand along the way. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're 100% right. This is, it's not a matter of you trying to do it all on your own. There are professionals out there. The same how there are professionals for other industries, for doctors, lawyers, accountants, you know, the same thing you want to have a professional who's invested into your success, who your success is also their success, somebody who can coach you throughout the way and not just tell you what to do, but also help you find that inner leadership within you for you to yeah. lead yourself because that's yeah. going to be the best leadership for you. Yeah. Okay, very cool. And I'd like to maybe this is like a rewinding question a bit, though. Yeah. Most of us aren't educated in finance yeah. or how to invest for our future. What are your thoughts on this? What do you either what? I mean, I just think about if we're teaching kids home economics and, <laughs> you know, other skills, shouldn't we be teaching them financial health? Absolutely. You know, I always talk about this on other shows is that, for example, like we're required to take art history and like music and nothing, not that there's anything wrong with those courses, but we're never really required to take, you know, finance 101 in in high school or or an introduction to finance or some basic accounting course or something with economics or the stock market at a younger age. Those are typically when you go to college and you get and you get a degree in finance or just from real world experience. And from the experience I've seen working with clients, a lot of people tend to learn more about financial stuff when they're in financial problems. That's when they know how credit cards work. That's how they know when, you know, 20% APR interest is bad. That's how they know what a stock market crashes after they've already experienced it, which could be problematic. You know, I think we need to start implementing like basic finance, accounting, economic courses um, in junior high school and high school especially in the United States or anywhere in the world, really, you know, um, but I'm saying, cause you know, I live in the United States. So that's why I'm saying, um, you know, to implement it at a younger age. So this way to mitigate future problems. And it also helps the economy, you know, from a fiscal perspective, it helps the For economy sure. when more people are, are more financially literate. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and do you spend time with people helping them to go back to release some of those blockages? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first things we do with clients is we have something called a financial analysis meeting, and it's a way to gather their financial financial situation. Like, for example, um, are they married? Do they have kids? Do they have like a 401k, a retirement plan? Do they have savings? Do they invest in the stock market? We want to understand their financial situation. But more importantly than that, we also want to understand like what their opinion on money is like one of the questions on the analysis is what's your um what's your definition of retirement what does retirement mean to you everybody every time i've asked that question i get a different response for Mm -hmm. some people it's you know i um wanting to work not needing to work for some people it's working one day a week for some people Mm -hmm. it's traveling a lot everybody has their own definitions and that's the most important part of the analysis it's the conceptual part of it it's identifying what, what certain things mean to certain people 
and then working from there. You know, what's your definition of financially financial freedom or being mm-hmm. financially successful? So yeah, we definitely take an ideal. We we look into what they mean about money. Mm-hmm. So there, it's an enormous amount of customizing. Mm-hmm. to that Absolutely. individual. Mm-hmm. You know, I think so- something I didn't say at the beginning of the show that is coming up for me now, it, if people haven't made the connection of, okay, Amy, why are you, um, you know, is a program talking, you, you usually focus on uh, communication and conflict mm-hmm. and, and how to manage your ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for me, the direct connection of becoming financial, having this financial freedom that you're describing is when we don't deal with it, when we've got skeletons in our closet, that creates more stress. That stress puts more pressure on us. So it's harder for us to stay partner where I'm holding high respect for the other, high respect for myself in high stress situations. And so it seems like a, a no brainer that um, if I want to be able to be the best partner I can be in an interpersonal yeah. setting, I've got to be able to deal with these other things in my life. And if I'm able to tackle this beat, this, bur- um, what I want to say, this burst, burst, no, this um, burden, and yes. piece of burden, that's what I say, um, then that is giving me that mental, I don't know if it's clarity so much, mental peace of mind. Yes. And I can see because what's one of the things I've been, I've taken my financial um, clarity and taking a better handle on it during this COVID period, these 18 months. And I can feel that overall anxiety is calming down. Mm -hmm. And there's also a sense of less feeling like an imposter and less feeling um, of shame because I, I'm now dealing with this skeleton that I was afraid to face in the past. Yeah. So, so for listeners, that's the idea is we've got to deal with all aspects of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. Now that I've made that connection for listeners and they may have done it on their own. <laughs> um, Sorry. You know, that expression, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. Um, many of us fall into this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, how is this problematic? Yeah. It's problematic. Number one, because you're comparing yourself to others you're looking at what other people have and then creating this competition for yourself to keep up with other people. And, you know, it's problematic because whenever you compare yourself to other people, that creates anxiety, whether it's financially related or related to anything else. When you compare yourself to other people, it creates anxiety because it speeds up this unnecessary urgency that you need to do something that you you really don't need to do at all. So that's kind of the first problem. Uh, And then the second problem is that keeping up with the Joneses also could be derived or come from uh, conventional wisdom, where, for example, conventional wisdom is like, it puts people into brackets. Like, for example, when you are 22 years old, you should graduate with a bachelor's degree. When you're 30, oh. you should buy your first home. When you're 35, you should have kids. When you are, and when you start to follow this rhythm or this pattern, you're, you're putting yourself into situations that you really don't want to be in, you know, yeah. what if, you know, and, and you're mixing in uh, cultural beliefs, religious beliefs, social societal, beliefs, yep. societal, all these other beliefs that really are, could be irrelevant to you. So to kind mm-hmm. of overcome these two things is that you want to identify your objectives. You want to take your time with this really drill down on your wants out of life yeah. and what's important to you. And then focus on getting those goals rather than just 
conventional or not goals that are commonly um, reachable or commonly reached by other people. You want to focus more on yourself. Um, and then social media, I think, has made, you know, keeping up with the Jones even worse because people can see what other people have in live. Yes. You, know? <laughs> you know, from Snapchat to Twitter, it's Instagram. You could see yeah. what people are buying, where they're traveling to instantly in the same yeah. day. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely problematic. And it's led to it's leading to more financial problems when people are buying things they don't really want. You know, there's a saying, I forgot who said it. It's we're impressing people we don't like and we're buying things we can't afford. Or we yeah. buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't even like. Wow. So, yeah. We're buying things we can't afford to impress people we don't even like. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, thank you for taking such a deep dive into that because it's sort of a, a, a superficial sounding expression, keeping up with the Joneses. And yet, when I listen to you, you know, I hear all of that turmoil that it creates for us and the pressure and how I've given mm-hmm. into that sometimes. And the other thing I was listening to is you were saying, you know, I have to, I should do this. I should do this. I should buy this. And, and yeah. in coaching, there's an expression, don't should on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I love it because the word should comes from a belief system. When yeah. you say the word should in any way, it means that you're connecting it to some belief system you have. So, you know, should is very, it's a, it's a judgy word. And yeah. I think it's, you know, it, it depends on situations. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you now, I want to talk about failure. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I've got to get right into this. Now, like all successful entrepreneurs, I imagine you have had some failures. So I'm curious to hear, what do you think about failure? What's an example of a business failure you've had? What did you learn from it? So feel free to talk around that, however you like. Yeah, so that's one of my favorite words. Um, A lot of good has come in my life from failures. So pretty much what failure is, is something not working out. You plan something, um, you implemented, you executed, and the result wasn't in your favor or wasn't planned. And I think that's also in the business world, that's, and and from a practical standpoint, that's very good because you've tested things. You've already taken the first step. It hasn't worked. Now you could pivot in a different direction, do it again. The more times you do something, the more likely it is going to work for you. So failure is just saying it didn't work this time. It doesn't mean that it didn't work ever. So, you know, one of my failures was uh, transitioning from a full-time employee to entrepreneurship. I did that Mm -hmm. three times. So three times I was a full-time employee, left, put my, um, left the job, started a business, put the business on hold because I couldn't afford to keep going, went back to uh, working. And then we did that. So three times, um, um, I failed twice as an entrepreneur. So this is my third time being an entrepreneur. And this is time it's working. <laughs> it's the longest time, I, longest time I've been self-employed and um, it's working. And I see myself being self-employed for the rest of my life now because of uh, the last failures I've had. I've done mm-hmm. things that I didn't, didn't plan on. So I just thought that, you know, it was going to be guaranteed. I was going to quit my job, find all the clients I need to sustain the business. And it wasn't true. Mike Tyson says, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. So it, <laughs> it's okay to get punched in the face. It's not going to mm. kill you, you know, yeah. so you, you want those situations. I think a lot of people want to avoid all failures. They want yes. to kind of like block every failure. And I think that that could be problematic in your life when you try to avoid all failures you want to mitigate certain things obviously sure. you want to mitigate problems in your life but at the same time not taking those leaps could actually be problematic because it holds you back and it shortens your shorten your shortens your goals uh jordan belfort the wolf of wall street he said that the reason who, why who, sorry who uh jordan belfort 
Yeah. He's uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. And, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, he, he says that the reason why people are struggling financially is not because their goals are too big. It's because their goals are too small and they're reaching them. So in other words, we want to expand our horizons. We want, we want to sp- expand our thinking and reach goals or try to at least not even reach our goals because they're so big um, and kind of expand the way we think and kind of look for uh, uh, once one, one thing I've seen with successful people is they look for problems. They're constantly looking for things that they can't really reach or accomplish uh-huh. because you tend to get more out of life. Like for example, one of my clients, he oh, was like, like cha- setting higher challenges to stretch further. Exactly. Like one of my clients was buying a building, buying a multifamily residence, um, selling one of his businesses and like doing something else, something relevant to business. And one out of those four things worked. So that one thing that did work was very rewarding, very lucrative for him to do. But he he says he probably wouldn't have got that one thing if he didn't have three other pending things. Mm. So like back to conventional wisdom and education, that would teach us that like, if you did four things and you only got one right, that's like a, a 25% F, you know, you only got one thing, right. you know, uh, right out of the four things. So you should shorten and, and shorten your goal. So that way you have a higher passing rate. When in reality, I think from a business perspective is you want to do more things and have, and, and the likelihood of one of those things working out is going to be much higher than you anticipated. Wow. I just, that is such a freeing attitude. <laughs> and, you know, when I think about my own path, I've, I am not a perfectionist and I, I approach things a little bit haphazardly sometimes. And luckily I have an improv attitude, which is like, I say yes to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Yeah. And though it has rewarded me most of the time. Plus I have a mother whose mantra is failure. Well, I bet you're going to learn something from it. You know, and when I have failed, I, I don't know if she's literally asked me this, though. I feel like I've heard it, her voice in my head saying, so what did you learn from it? And when I moved to Switzerland, mm-hmm. you know, if I talk about the stereotype Switzerland, I had a Swiss boyfriend. He's like, Amy, you say yes to stuff and you don't even consider the fact that you might fail. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and it, it hadn't occurred to me so I, until I saw it through his eyes. He said, if I think I'm going to fail at something, I'll do everything I can to make sure I can avoid it. And if I can't avoid it, I don't say yes to it. And I just thought, oh, my God, that sounds like way too much work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I feel very lucky that I grew up with this mentality. And so maybe I've got a, a, I'm a little bit ahead of it, though. I think that's also something that people can choose to step into. And mm-hmm. for me, it's listening to you, Sari. It makes me um, want to ask myself, ooh, what four challenges can I take on? And maybe one of them will be successful. You know, it's such such a lighter way to approach your challenges in life. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think we're, we're meant we're as human beings, we're meant to take further leaps than we could anticipate or think about. Uh, We could do more than we actually realize we could. So we're more capable of doing much bigger things than we've been taught growing up than, you know, staying in our lanes we're actually, you know, like designed to do way more than we could ever imagine. Yeah, so true. Wow. So um, before we go for break, now this yeah. may go oh, past break. So you tell me it, what, it, um, if we can start this conversation. I want to ask you uh, what you mean by breaking the cycle and how can people do that? Now, you may have been talking about something that I just want to be clear what that me- means for you, breaking the cycle. 
Yeah. So breaking the cycle in terms of uh, financial literacy or in, in the financial sense, from what I've seen, it's typically uh, people who follow a certain cycle, like for example, um, not being financially free or be living in a, a tough financial financial situation and it, it being over and over where it's like from generation to generation. And then breaking that cycle is obviously changing that. It's altering the future outcome based off of previous results. And Hold on, say it again. Altering the outcome based on previous results. Did I get yes. it right? Yeah, yeah. So you're changing what's going to happen moving forward, you know, um, from that's, that's different from the past. And the way to do this from a financial standpoint, the way to do this is really to um, have the mindset, number one, is have a mindset, number two, get comfortable with looking at the financial problems in your life, number three, working with a professional, and then number four, drilling down on your specific wants out of life. And and if you notice, Amy, I'm really emphasizing on wants, not just needs. Um, you also need to really take care of your wants. So emphasizing on your wants. <laughs> I like that. You need to take care of your wants. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and then really having a specific goal towards those, not just keeping up with the Joneses. You're doing things because you want to do certain things in your life. Because that, I'm guessing, gives us the motivation. Yeah, motivation, exactly. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what's inspiring. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So um, do you want to say more about this? Should we... Um, pause here and go to a yeah, break? Yeah, I think you... this is I think this is good. Yeah, for a pause. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So listeners, you can connect with Sari and find out more about him directly on his website, finassetprotection.com. Let me spell that. F-I-N-A-S-S-E-T-P-R-O-T-E-C-T-I-O-N.com. Did I spell that right, Sari? Yes. Yeah. Finassetprotection.com. I am notorious for removing letters and adding letters that are not there. So me too. <laughs> oh, good. It's a sign of an intelligent brain. Too much going on. <laughs> hey, and listeners, if you go to his website, Sari's going to offer you a free book. And we're going to talk about that free book, what that's about when we come back. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course. You'll find details on my website, carolcoaching.com, and that has two R's and two L's. When we come back from break, we're going to be hearing more from Sari and taking a deeper dive into breaking the the cycle and even more than that. Stay tuned. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members or neighbours that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behaviour changes in voice, body language, words and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. 
visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. My guest today is Sarah Ibrahim. And we've been discussing what it gets, what gets in the way of taking control of our financial freedom. And we just had a really rich discussion before the break about failure. And boy, if you have a negative attitude about failure, listeners, you're going to want to make sure you listen to that part again, because Sari really flips the script on it. And I'm already feeling even lighter and almost literally excited to go out and see what I can do to fail because it also means increased chances of success. There we go. Okay. So Sari, um, this, this, I guess where I want to ask you next is about this concept of bank on yourself. Uh, Let's talk about that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Amy, what bank on yourself is, it's a concept. It's a way of living financially. And I found out about this concept, as I mentioned earlier, is that I was reading the book, The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. And the book talks about this strategy called the Bank on Yourself strategy. And what the author does, what Pamela Yellen does is she addresses a lot of financial problems that people are having, especially in the United States, when it comes to, for example, their 401ks, their IRAs, these are retirement plans that people have been saving into with the assumption that they're going to have wealth in the future that has grown over time, but with market conditions, like we saw in the year, like we saw in the Great Depression, and we saw in the year 2000 and the year 2008 and the beginning of COVID in 2020, that changed a lot of retirement accounts. It changed a lot of the values. People, In other words, people lost a lot of money. So the bank on yourself concept was created to address that concern of how, what happens if I'm doing all the right things? I'm working, I'm saving my money, I'm investing, and I put it into an account and then that account um, loses value because of market conditions. So the bank on yourself concept was designed to overcome that. So that's one thing that bank on yourself is. It's a way of growing wealth regardless of market conditions. Another problem that Pamela Yellen describes in the book is the amount of interest we pay to lenders over our lifetime. Um, In the United States, on average, one-third of your income for the average American goes to servicing debt. What this means is, on average, you make $100,000 a year, $33,000 is going to go to uh, servicing debt. That that could be credit cards, car loans, student loans, your mortgage, personal debt, all types of debts that people have. And a lot of people are focused on the rate of their interest. So, you know, they might try to be in a low interest environment, which we are right now. 
But the problem isn't the interest rate. It's how many times you're paying a lender back to borrow something. So Pamela Yellen in the book describes that as well, is that that's a major problem. And then Bank on Yourself also addresses that, where you're becoming your own source of financing and you're able to recoup that interest you would otherwise pay to lenders. So that's the second problem it addresses. And the third major problem, taxes. So in the United States right now, we're in a relatively historically low tax rate. The highest tax rate, income taxes, is 37%, which historically is pretty low. And there's a lot of factors that are gonna, that suggest or project that that tax rate will increase over time based off of how things are right now in terms of Medicare, Medicaid, the healthcare system, in other words, uh, the debt on uh, interest on national debt and the overall social security budget. So these factors imply or project that tax rates will go up in the future. And that could be a whole nother set of problems for people. So bank on yourself can also address that. Now, what bank on yourself is on like a basic technical level, it's pretty much the utilization of cash value, whole life insurance um, used for living purposes, obviously while you're still alive, even though it's life insurance and growing the cash value in the policy to address market conditions. In other words, to grow wealth, regardless of market conditions and to become your own source of financing, to pay interest back to yourself rather than to other people, and then to mitigate taxes in the future. So that way you could be almost in a 0% tax rate in the future. Wow. Holy smokes. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure what question to ask next after that. What, where, what would, where would you take it after that? Yeah, I, I would take it to, uh, so why life insurance? You know, people are like, we were talking about finance this whole time. We were talking about financial literacy. We were talking about becoming financially free. What does this have to do with life insurance? And that concern is valid. It's a valid concern. What, is it, what does it have to do with life insurance? Um, what people don't know about life insurance, and I don't blame them. It's not really a hot topic to talk about. But there's specially designed policies that have cash value inside of them. So that means it's like a savings account inside of the policy. And that account grows over time. It earns interest from the insurance company, kind of like a savings account, but about 40 times what a savings account would pay. So you're, you're ha- you have this pool of cash that's growing over time and you're able to access it. So I just wanted to make the distinction of you know financial literacy, financial freedom um, to life insurance. And then also that it, it's, this isn't simply just about go out and buy life insurance. It's more of understand the concept and the reason for the concept. And then use this, you know, what we're going to talk about, bank on yourself or dividend paying whole life insurance as a tool to address those problems. And this book that Mm -hmm. you give when people go to your website, is this the book that talks about the bank on yourself? Yeah, this is the bank on yourself Mm -hmm. revolution by Pamela Yellen. And I give this a book away for free. Awesome. Um, I want to back up a little bit and go um, sort of a, a more mild um, question here, though, decision-making and in perhaps relationship to what you've been talking about, why is decision-making important? How do you suggest people improve in their decision-making process? Definitely. So the reason why I bring up decision-making, Amy, is because it, it correlates directly with your income and with the amount of wealth you have. In other words, people who um, tend to change their mind frequently and people who tend to take um, longer periods of time to make decisions 
also tend to struggle financially. So there's a direct relationship between decision-making and having financial freedom and having, or having a financially free, comfortable life. Um, so, and the reason why is because everything we do is revolved. Time is money, in other words. So when we waste time, we're also wasting money. But really, there's, there are principles behind decision-making. So it's not just about how fast you can make a decision. It's also about certain core principles you have and, and ways. This is something I learned, actually. This was, this was the, the positive side of um, project, project management. management. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Uh, project management involves a lot of, um, you're looking at one thing 10 times. You're saying, all right, you know, how big is it? What's the cost of it? How long will it take? When will we start it? So you're looking at it from different angles. To, so that way, when it comes time to make decisions, you have more information about a certain, a certain thing. And you also have core ideas or principles that are pretty similar from one case to another case that you could apply. So for example, um, if your decision is to, in, should, what should I invest in? Mm-hmm. Well, when you have these core beliefs beforehand, like for example, I only invest in real estate and I only do it passively and I'm only going to do it in the Chicagoland area and I'm only going to do it through... Um, um, where I loan my money out to people and I only do it within this certain range, everything else that come, that is not in those buckets or in those c- criteria is an automatic no. So it's like you're thinking like an algorithm where it's like, if it doesn't fit these five things, then the answer is no. And I've noticed from successful people that successful people are really good at these things where it's like they have a set criteria, they have standards. And then if it doesn't meet those, they automatically exit it. And most of the time, that's what they're doing. Most of the time, they're saying no to things and only saying yes to certain things. So that helps them stay on track. It helps Mm -hmm. them not take unnecessary risks or jump jump to things that they can't control. So as I was listening to you, what came up for me is I had this metaphor. I call it the Catholic uniform approach to yeah. life. And so let me explain for a minute. I, um, for years, I've stopped eating certain you know, foods, dairy and gluten. Mm-hmm. And so um, often people are like, oh, just try this, just try that. And I decided um, that it was, it was all or nothing. I wasn't going to let my mood decide what I wanted each day or at each meal to eat, because then it would have been a disaster. Mm -hmm. And so the analogy of the Catholic uniform, I've always was very sad as a little kid growing up that people would have to wear a uniform to school because I just that was one of my favorite things every morning was getting dressed and deciding what I was going to wear. And it was very joyful. And as I became older, I was like, you know, that Catholic uniform thing is not such a bad idea Mm because you wake up, and even if you're not really awake, you know how what you have to do to get dressed and what it's going to look like. There is no, it's automated. There's no decision-making process. Yep. So very long explanation to a- apply the Catholic uniform approach yes. to this concept of investing. <laughs> you're, you're so right. I love that. You're taking away the, the unpredictability. You're also... Um, taking away the time, you know, you don't ever have, you don't have to think about what you're going to wear. You also don't have to go shopping in the middle of the week to think about what you're <laughs> going to wear for school. It's already set. So that way you yeah. chop that out, you automate that segment of your life. And then now you can shift that focus to other areas, other priority, other yes. areas that need more priority. Yeah. It's a time and energy saving uh, yeah. approach. Yeah. Which helps <laughs> to give your brain free space for other things. Yeah. And time and energy is more important than money in life. It's, it's yes. the most important thing is your time and your energy. Yeah. Very true. Oh, wow. I'm really glad we took a deep dive into the idea of decision-making. That was rich for me. Mm-hmm. So 
my next question for you is, um, you talked about this early on about the importance of believing in yourself. So how do you stay motivated and to consistently believe in yourself? I could tell you, Amy, that I don't always spring out of bed. I don't always jump out of bed, bed and ready to work. Um, it's sometimes it can be a struggle, especially when you are self-employed. Um, just because you don't have that, you know, co-working environment. I do have employees that work for me, but some, you know, the way I stay motivated is I use something, I a checklist every day. So I I open up my calendar. I do this every day around seven o'clock in the morning. I open up my calendar and then I write out all the tasks that I have in order based off of um, the times are due. And then this does a couple of things. Number one, it gets my brain working. It gets my handwriting. It gets everything moving. I could just not write it down and just look at my calendar and implement from there. But I like the idea of writing it out all out vertically in order. And then I actually add a couple other tasks that are easier tasks to do before everything else, like two or three in the beginning, the easiest tasks the easiest tasks in the front uh, or the top of the checklist. This way, as I'm doing those things, I go and I check them off. It's creating momentum now. Yes. Now it's it's making the next the next tasks easier and easier to do. And then let's just say, for example, the day is almost done. I have 20 tasks written out and there's like 19. I'm going to finish at 20th one. It's I'm pretty much done for the whole day. I can't, it lo- looks awkward where everything's checked off except for one box. So now I'm like tricking myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm leaving things. I'm tricking myself to do things almost an autopilot. Mm-hmm. There are times where I look at my checklist and like there's like 20 things done. I did 100% of the things I wanted to do. Again, even if I don't do 100% back to our previous conversation, that's okay too. As right. long the checks themselves are more important than the comparison to the other ones. So in other words, as long as I'm checking those off, that's fine. But I look at it and I was like, wow, I thought I was really tired today. I thought I was really out of it today. You know, So I'm doing the back of the uniform. I'm doing these things almost in autopilot where I'm just checking yeah. it. And, yeah. and, and I'm taking away that the... Um, the stress from the stressful part about it and the mm-hmm. contemplation part about it. And I'm doing mm-hmm. more action and execution than just thinking about the tasks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like your approach better than mine. Sometimes what I do is I ask myself, okay, if I don't get these things done, how will I feel at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to feel kind of crappy and disappointed with myself. And I won't be as excited when I sit down to watch that movie on Netflix or so it, it's sort of a, um, where will my mindset be? How will mm-hmm. I feel about the, the day when I reflect on it? And that sometimes, not always, gets me to do those things that are mm-hmm. still on that list. Yeah. So um, let me ask you about you. One of the things I read about in your bio is that you help real estate investors. How do you help them? Yeah, Absolutely. So back to the problems we talked about, we talked about the the reasons why the bank on yourself concept was invented. We talked about market conditions and interest and taxes. And those three tend to be super very relevant to um, real estate investors because they're dealing with a lot of cash flow. They're dealing Mm. with a lot of properties. So they tend to have to worry about market conditions. They tend to have to worry about interest, how much interest they pay to acquire properties and manage properties, and then how much they tax exposure they have because they tend to make a lot of money. So I wanted to make that my, one of the niches that we have, we work with real estate investors who are either active real estate investors or passive real estate investors. And the difference is is active real estate investors go out, they find the properties, they talk to the realtors or the brokers, they make offers, they hire contractors, they hire uh, property manager management companies. They're actively involved in the business. Whereas passive investing, passive real estate investing is You're, for example, a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're an engineer, you have your full-time job, 
you want to get into real estate, but you're too busy to get into real estate. So you just outsource that entire function. You find um, another active real estate investor or a general partner, and then you invest in their fund or in their projects. So for example, this is how a lot of properties are bought, where it's like a 400 unit apartment building that's like $10 million. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's going to be through like numerous partners where mm -hmm. um, they're investing into the project. And that's something I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of both active real estate investing and passive real estate investing. And then we've, we've niched down to bank on yourself to help both active and passive real estate investors. But that's kind of the differences. And we're helping them like grow wealth outside of the stock market. And then I think number two is more important is that they're becoming their own source of financing. So mm -hmm. the active real estate investors would, ha would have to go out to banks or private money lenders, borrow from them pay interest to them, follow their terms and conditions. And in poor economic times, they have to usually, usually it's the borrowers who have to suffer, not necessarily the lenders. So we're, we're, we're helping them become essentially their own mortgage, their own five, you know, not, not literally starting a financial institution, but more of them becoming their own source of financing to kind of take control of that part of their business, of their life. And then also the third part, which is the taxes. We're helping them mitigate taxes for the future. So this way they could almost have a tax-free retirement. Wow. Um, I want to ask you this next question because I want to give you some time yeah. to talk about it. And if it's some, before we have to wrap up, if you have a example of a client that you can talk about who's been a, someone who you've worked with, I'd love mm -hmm. to hear that as an example. So what I want to ask you now is how to, to describe how a bank on yourself type whole life policy could be structured. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'll talk about the client example first, if that's okay. So sure. I have one client who owns a manufacturing company and he has, he, there's something called like buying on credit. This is where like you would buy inventory, but not pay cash upfront for it. You would mm. buy on credit. Usually it's 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, depending on the negotiation and other factors. And this, in this situation, this client has a 90 day period, a 90 day period between buying something and then having to pay for it. So what that means is, and he has, and he makes like, um, like five or $6 million a year. So what this means is at any given time, he has hundreds of thousands of dollars just sitting in his bank in the meantime, until he has to pay his creditors or until he has to pay the, until he has to pay the vendors. So okay. um, while going through his financial analysis, I was also asking him, you know, what's important to you. And he was like, I just want to maximize profits. I want to maximize it, uh, efficiency and, and mitigate risks and mitigate like leakage. So we figured out that we could um, allocate those funds to the bank on yourself concept in the meantime, while from the time he earns that money to the time he has to pay it, um, and instead of that money just sitting in a bank account, not doing anything from just 0% interest, just sitting there, we could have those funds sitting in a whole life insurance policy, earning him between 4 and 6% every year on that cash value. Again, this isn't astronomical rates of return. It's not a huge rate of return. It's very conservative, but it beats 0%. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and then he would have the ability to also do this and also increase the value of his business because- these whole life insurance policies that we structured for him are owned by the business. So um, this is what we did. So the two things really is earn compound interest on that money while, while he's holding onto it. And the second thing is it um, increased the value of his business. Now, as far as structuring and designing the policies, that could be a whole nother podcast, but to kind of make it in a, in a, in a basic way is that it comes down to the financial analysis. 
what where is the client's situation what are their goals and then we design it from there so for example if somebody makes forty thousand dollars a year and they're single versus somebody who's married and makes five hundred thousand dollars a year they're going to have completely different designs different funding amounts different periods um, but one kind of rule we start off with we start off with maybe we, we fund a policy with like five percent of their annual gross income into a policy to start with and then we might fund it until retirement age. That's just one example. It could be, that's not a hard rule. That's just kind of an idea from where we start from. Wow. Um, as I was listening to you, you know, and comparing what I do with people, it's like you're giving them this um, freedom and independence mm-hmm. to, and like when I work with people, I, it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, the, the concept of rather than give them a fish to eat for a day, you're giving them the concept of fishing. And yeah. it's so rewarding Yes, to see that people are then able to do these things on their own. Absolutely. Mm, very cool. Uh, you know, my last question for you, and you may have uh, something else you want to share is invest in yourself or rather invest in your business or save cash. Which do you prefer and why? Yeah, I love that question. So I would, you know, first kind of consider the pros and cons of both. So let's start with, for example, investing your money or actually reinvesting your money, which is a little bit different. So you, you own a business, for example, you're generating revenue and you have profits and you decide to reinvest back into your business. The benefits of doing so is that you get to compound your money. You go from, from one to two to four to eight, whatever units or um, elements of the, of the business you have. So you're compounding it and growing it. This is how a lot of people grow their businesses by reinvesting back into the business. Um, and then the, I guess the downside to reinvesting back into your business consistently or, or investing anywhere else is that you tie, you tend to tie up liquidity or you tie up cash flow because it's, it's invested somewhere else. Right. And typically to take that money back out, it could be a, depending on what you're investing in and depending on the industry you're in, it could be a little bit tricky to get that money back out. So that's kind of the pros and cons of that. And then on the cash side, if I just take from my profits and then save cash, the benefits to that is I have liquidity, instant liquidity if I need it for the future for my business or my personal life. And the downside to that is you lose the opportunity cost you could have earned had you invested that money somewhere else. So now how do we take like the pros and connect them and then the cons and like, you know, kind of this like uh, X where we're connecting the right dots. Right. And that could be done through financial vehicles out there. There's many financial vehicles. If you work with a financial advisor or financial coach, they can show you these different vehicles that you can use like collateralizing assets where you're buying an asset, borrowing against it, using that for another asset and all these different intricate things you could do so much that you could do. Um, and one of those things happens to be bank on yourself. You could use a bank on yourself policy in your business to save your money and reinvest it back into your business. So this way you're doing two things now. You're saving cash for the future and you are reinvesting it. And I really want to drill down, Amy, on the differences between using bank on yourself, uh, whole life policies, and then just having your money in a bank account. Now, okay. it's, obvious yeah. that, it's obvious that number one is that your whole life policy is going to yield a higher rate of return than just a simple bank account. But the other issue too is that if you just have, for example, $100,000 in um, a bank account, let's just say you're not getting any interest on it. 
the obvious problem is that you're going to lose to inflation. So that means that the cost of goods and services are going to increase over time and your buying power, the money you have is going to lose value. So things get more expensive. The money you have, the $100,000 isn't in in reality going to always be $100,000. It's going to lose value because you can buy less things with that money. The second thing is, is that you're going to lose opportunity costs you could have earned had you kept investing, reinvesting that money over and over again. You could have, you know, double or triple that money every seven or ten years, um, if you re- if you invest the money. And the third part is really important. This is the human nature. So, if I have just a hundred thousand dollars sitting in a checking account, I'm more likely to spend that money because I have I have direct access to it always. I could use a debit card. I could transfer money. I could. Um, um, online banking, I could you write a check. It's very liquid and very accessible, but it's almost too accessible to the point where human nature comes in and is actually problematic. So I want to address that third one, actually. I want to kind of create some barriers between me and my money and make it just a little bit more difficult to reach than yeah. it already is. And when you do it that, when you have those barriers between you and your money, you're more likely to save it. And you're also more like, likely to think you know, 10 times before you touch your money Yes. Um, if you have those barriers between you and, yeah. and your money. If the cookies are down in the basement, in the freezer, triple wrap, <laughs> going to be a lot less interesting than if they're in the cabinet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, sorry. This has been lovely. Um, we're just about out of time. And so in 30 seconds or less, what is a call for action you have for the listeners? Yeah. So they could, you know, thank you for that. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, listeners can go to finassetprotection.com and then they could schedule a free 15-minute call with me either over Zoom or over the phone. And I'll send them a free copy of the book, The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Young. So free book by going to finassetprotection.com and scheduling a free 15-minute call. Super cool. So um, listeners, my call for action to you is to send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, blunders, and successes via email or as social media. And let's put a twist on it. You can make them financially connected because I'm sure that finances bring up a lot of conflict and stress for people. I'll read them. I'll discuss, discuss them on future shows and make suggestions. And you can email me at amy at carolcoaching.com, two R's, two L's. You can for sure reach out to Sari on finassetprotection.com, get that free book, get that free 15-minute chat with him. If nothing else, it's going to be a lovely conversation, and I suspect it'll be a lot more than that. Now, be sure to switch on, tune in, listen up, and be inspired next week when I'll be talking with Lily Newman, a leadership expert who is passionate about empowering women and sharing her insights for growing more leaders globally. Why leaders must be a must leave a legacy, how to deal with self-sabotage, the imposter syndrome, and many hot tips for being a leader who will make a difference. You can check out more information on my website, carolcoaching.com, or connect with me on any of my social media channels, Amy Carol Coaching. Now, if you're game for more, I'm going to be hopping over to Facebook Live five minutes past the hour for a short chat on today's show. Sari, thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Amy. And thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time, 
on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.